Alrighty. We are talking this month about six courageous decisions that will change your life. And if you haven't picked up this morning, well, the one we're asking about and really wrestling with is, what do we do with stuff? Nothing like listening to a nice song there that just kind of cuts to the heart a little bit. Thanks, Kat. We really appreciate that. In fact, one of the things that we discover along the way is that when it comes to following Jesus, if someone's here this morning and checking out what does that actually look like, it actually also has to do with stuff. Jesus said these words, in this world you will have troubles, but take courage for I have overcome the world. He invites followers of his to take courage and to be an active force in the world around about for him. And so over these next two months, what we've been doing is talking about six decisions that if you respond courageously to, I reckon your 2017 will be completely changed and transformed. Richard Foster, a deep thinker, a theologian, he says these words, our world is hungry for genuinely changed people. Superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but rather for deep people and courageous people to respond and act and to be at work in this curious world in which we find ourselves in. Aren't we in a curious world right now in the course and the seasons of turnings of economies and we're in a curious space? And so these are the six questions. And if you're here, uh, the last few weeks, you can get your box set of magnets. Um, these are them. You can pin them up on your fridge because we're marching through six different questions that you can respond to courageously. What do you do with God? Follow him. What do you do with worry? Give it to him. What do you do with noise? Retreat to him. What do you do with stuff? Use it for him. And if you've missed out on the box set, that will be really valuable in many years' time to come, about 100 years. You can go and collect it on the outside, or there should be one under your seat today just to take it with you as a prompt. If you're just wondering if I get up in the morning time and just flip a coin and say, what should we talk about this week, you know? I actually don't. I've been brewing on these for about a year now. And I think that these are some of the key, most fundamental questions that it has to do with how do you engage with culture and what are the, the necessities and the demands of, of our lives and being forced upon us um, by all different dynamics uh, in, in our economies and how should someone intelligently respond to them. So next week, we're going to talk about what to do with my body and then lastly, what to do with me. And I know Sunday at 6 starts next week, but if you're a young adult, commit to the Sunday at 6, but I'd love you to come along And see the next two of this as we talk about what do we do with our bodies and what do we do with me. I want to start this morning by telling you a tale of two experiences. Maybe you've experienced this before yourself. Three years ago at Christmas time, our family went to the Philippines, same place that Lucas was talking about this morning. There we were, as soon as we landed in Manila, it's kind of that hot, steamy place and you just felt the congestion of people. And there was one particular day where a minister of a church took us to the slum areas of Manila. Now, I've been in developing countries before, but this was a slum of like no other that I'd seen. It was the kind of place where you smell poverty. It's the kind of smell that reeks into your system, into your clothes. It sticks to you. And he took us up onto a certain hill. It was actually a dirt hill called Trash Mountain where there were people who lived up there. And over the decades, the accumulation of rubbish is such that there was actually trees growing up there. There was soil. There was, And we went up one day to take some people, uh, some people up there some food to eat. We were going up to distribute food to the poor and needy up there. And he had a connection that he would take regularly and routinely up to this mountain. I remember being at the top of that place and kids came from everywhere. Some of them were just sort of muddy. Some of them were butt naked sitting there in front of me. And he said, 
Talk to him about the love of God. Wow. I remember standing in that particular spot, looking at the surrounds with tarpaulin shanties, and thinking to myself, what do I say? And then as we finished, we, we fed, and we started to proceed down the mountain. I looked back and saw them just returning to their shanties. Two days later in the Philippines, we decided to go shopping. So we walked into this shopping mall, security on the door, opened up, white person, smile. Walked in, instantly, air conditioning. Nice music playing. Marvellous. So safe. Walked into any of the department stores, thumbing through every item. We could purchase any of these things. And I remember feeling for the moment, perhaps one of the first moments in my life where the, the contrast between the opportunities I had as a white person with an Australian passport and with some kind of wage afforded me compared to anyone else. If you like, in Manila, I was a king. First experience. Second experience. Over the last three years since we've been here, you tend to, have an evening time, watch shows occasionally. Have you noticed that? Different design shows or different items that you can... Have you, have you ever flicked over the paper and read what the housing prices are doing or, or that someone else has actually made a fast dollar? And Over the last three years, there's been times where I've felt like, gee, it's as though I'm falling behind. Have you ever felt that before? Someone else has got this and they've got that ahead and, and oh, they've made a great purchase and, oh, they have that particular. And there's this other experience I find simultaneously happening within my senses and my body, which is it kind of wraps itself around this idea that everyone else has and I don't. Has anyone experienced that here? Someone else is getting ahead at your expense? And so there I can be over in Manila where I am the king and here in Melbourne where I might be at the bottom. What is going on with that? And what on earth does it look like to follow Jesus in the context of that? What does it even mean to be a human being in that context and respond? Why do we feel this? Well, it's about stuff and it's about the Joneses. You see, we never have enough stuff. Have you noticed that? And in fact, one guy, John Nash, in his book, Enough, he said, we have created a culture that has one overriding message. We do not uh, have all we need to be satisfied. The answer we are told is to have, see, be, and do even more. Always, always more. In fact, <laughs> Morris Height, from, uh, former CEO of Tracy Lock Advertising, he, said, Next, he says this, next to Christianity, advertising is the greatest force in the world. And I say that without sacrilege or disrespect. Advertising makes people discontented and it makes them want things they don't have. Without discontent, there is no progress, no achievement. Isn't this the world that we live in right now? No offense, Lucas, just transform it, would you? That'd be great. So here we have a world of discontent where we feel like we're getting left behind. This is epitomized by the anecdotal story of this shoe. Anyone know what this shoe is called? Yes? This is an Adidas Rome. Does anyone remember an Adidas Rome? I used to work in a sports store when I was in university and they had one shoe about 30 years ago. One shoe they had and it was Adidas 
Rome. People ran marathons in this. People did any sports activity in this shoe. Uh, in fact, if you had one of them, you could also simultaneously use it as a hammer because the heel counter was so hard, you know, that you could just drive things in. And there was one shoe. I would have customers walk into the store and they'd say, Rome, nine and a half. <laughs> I said, would you like to try it on? No. It's the same shoe. They've always been making it. My foot hasn't changed. Nowadays, if you go into a sports store, and that's just in 20 years, 30 years of progress. So let me just do the market test for a moment because no one is ever greedy and no one has too much stuff. Have you noticed that? It's always someone else. Uh, just, let's just do the market test for a moment. If you have more than one set of any kind of sports shoes, could you just raise your hand right now? Whoever didn't raise their hand, go and see someone who had their hand raised. And and if you need a pair of sports shoes, then maybe they'll want to share some with you. So the question I'm asking this morning as we've been hearing all these different things is what on earth would Jesus have to say about this? In other words, what does Jesus have to say about any of this stuff? Because his world is totally fundamentally different to ours, isn't it? I mean, he was talking to people who perhaps had one extra garment. And if the main breadwinner in their house became uh, disabled in some way, it would perhaps lead to destitution in that family. They were agrarian farmers or they worked for someone who was. Well, Jesus tells a story and if you want to follow with us, you can do it in Luke chapter 12. This is how the story goes. Someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Seems like a simple question, doesn't it? But in that culture at the time, Jesus understood what this man was asking. He wanted him to make a a, a decision between two brothers who were having a fight over land and who should inherit it. And and a a, a powerful uh, cultural dimension uh, in, in that day and age. Jesus understanding that if he did arbitrate, could split up an entire family, he responds in these words, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? In other words, Jesus says, I don't want to even be part of what you are asking me to do because I know the ramifications that it will have in your household and I know what you're asking for. I won't do it. And then Jesus proceeds with a story that goes something like this. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Wow, just there, right there, our culture, here we are. Life does not consist in the abundance of stuff. See, the truth is about this statement is that we all agree with that, don't we? I mean, no one here is saying, yeah, 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 yeah. So he proceeds a little bit further. Because the begging question is, well, what do we do with stuff? And he says this. He tells them a story. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself one day, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And I've got this abundant bumper harvest that's just been flourishing. So he thinks to himself, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and there will be store for my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. 
What did the rich farmer do, the farmer who had an abundant crop? He thought to himself, I know, I'll just build bigger barns and accumulate more. And with my accumulation will come this sense of security wrapped around me that I'll be able to look forward to a future in which there will be ease, lack of want, accumulation. Jesus responds and says this, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? You see, Jesus was saying that with stuff comes this deceit that somehow I'm secure. I'm secure in my future. I'm secure in my health. I'm secure in my destiny. I'm secure. And Jesus points out very clearly. He says, you can have as much stuff as you want. And you might have collected it in barns. But you fool. You don't even know that tonight your very life is going to be required of you. And then this is how it will be. Is that other people will get what you've actually been storing up. Because you can't take it with you. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves. Jesus goes on and says, it's not rich towards God. You see, Jesus seemed to have this different idea about the use of stuff. He seemed to think that security can easily be found in stuff. At least it tells us that. But it's not true. So he offers an alternate. He says this to the people who are listening to him. Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, Don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens, he says. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. What a contrast between the two. You see, Jesus seemed to impress upon the listeners, the hearers of that time, that there was a God who actually had their back. And that if they wanted to find a security that would actually reach into the beyond as well as be present with them now, it's best invested in a God who takes care of the birds and the trees, the flowers. Place your faith and trust in him. He's pressed a little bit further. And he says, this is how it will be for people who store up things for themselves. But it's not rich towards God. And he presses and he goes on. He says, do not be afraid, little flock, 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 for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. This is the powerful words he speaks into this culture and his generation. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Not so that you become poor yourself. He says, sell your possessions in such a way, if you like, have a heart that says, I want to give. And in so doing, you'll be providing purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, for where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. And then he says these powerful words. The truth is, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, it's at this point that Jesus pushes and prods. And he says the security that comes with stuff is not real. But there's another security that you can find in a God who kind of, he looks after the birds and the plants and the, trust him. I mean, that's no excuse for not being responsible. This is no excuse for being someone who decides not to work or not to put in any effort. No, 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 that's not it at all. But what Jesus is 
wanting to do is press upon them the reality that there is a God who can be trusted. And so what do you do with stuff? Learn to use it in a very different way to what the kingdoms of the world might say. And when you do, you'll be learning a dynamic that comes from the heart of God himself. John the Baptist, one of the predecessors for Jesus, was calling people to get ready for him. And he was out in the water and he was baptizing people. And some people came and they they said to him, Jesus, what should we, John, what should we do now that we're getting ready for, for God's king, his Messiah to come? What should we do now that we've been baptized and plunged into the water to say we're getting washed clean and getting ready? And Jesus described for them a simple scenario. I call it the maths of God's kingdom. He said this. If you want to live in a way that honors who this coming king is, if you want to live in a way that honors who God is, then if you have two garments and you see someone who has no garment, you give one of your garments to the person who doesn't and you keep one for yourself. Wow. Let me go over that again because I, I, I wasn't very good at math. So this actually takes a... He said, if you have two garments and you see someone who has none and you kind of want to live in a way that honors who, then you take one of your garments and give it to the person who has none and you can keep one for yourself. It kind of looks like this. You see, this is the moment where I want to get really politically incorrect. It's okay to be politically incorrect today. Do you notice that? In fact, people love it. Just don't be angry in your political correctness. You see, someone who follows Jesus has had such a radical transformation of their heart that they begin to think differently about the stuff around about them. And, and, and they look at it fundamentally in a different way. It's not that having a house or a car or going on a trip is is a bad thing. But what actually fundamentally happens inside of themselves is that they've had a shift. They've had a shift in what's important and where their security lies. And so it kind of opens up into a heart of generosity. And as they learn to trust in Jesus, he entrusts them back to use their stuff to do his bidding. Because they work to a scenario, and this is completely, totally, politically incorrect, where they believe that God is actually bringing order to the chaos of this world. The, he's bringing justice to injustice and will do it one day. And so they're just going to join him in that. In fact, the political incorrectness comes when they truly believe that he is the boss and he owns it all anyway. Everything. He owns their house, their car, their motorbike, if they have one. He owns everything that they have, even though they go to work and they earn money and they save some of it and they pay off something else. And he act, they actually believe that he is the boss and that they're just a steward of his work, of what's already his. Is that politically incorrect? He seems to think that the economy of God's maths 
is completely and utterly different. See, one of the things I love around here and love being part of New Community is that what we find is that there's enormous amount of generosity that seems to eke out of this place because people have come into a space where they understand that it's actually God at work can be trusted and so they buy into this thing called generosity to do his bidding. I hear it in Sam's voice last week, a young boy who says, I actually want to make some things to go and redistribute it. I hear it and I see it when Dave and Steve decide that they want to go and hear about prison fellowship and visiting people in jails to give their time and their energy towards. I hear it. In fact, there's people who are sitting here today who are recipients of other people's generosity because they've discovered and bumped into someone who kind of works to a different mathematics in the world around about them. And they believe they're actually partnering with God in transforming his world for good. In fact, there's one particular lady here who some years ago was in a really difficult situation. And she said, it's okay for me to share this. And there was another couple, Tim and Amanda, who came out to their front lawn because they had an extra television they didn't need. And they placed it down. And someone else came out, Yuan did, and she said, I I could use a television. I don't have one. And they said, sure, here, have the television. In fact, don't just stop at the television. Why don't you come into our house? And then why don't you share some food? And why don't you actually be part of our lives? And in the process of doing that, something came alive in her life. She discovered, is there something more? Are there people out there who care? Is there a God who loves and gives? And if that's what he's like, I'd like to know him too. The band are going to come in a moment. They're going to, we're going to invite a space and time to sing. But I wonder what you're hearing me say this morning. And I wonder what you might be hearing God prompting and nudging in you today about stuff. You see, I recognize when I stand up here, I realize that everyone's in different positions when it comes to wealth, stuff. We're all in different places. But the one thing that cuts across is the same God who cares. And in small or large ways alike, if someone places their trust in him, he invites us to do his bidding in small or large ways exactly where we are. So I wonder this morning, how might this work out in your world? I mean, if you're here this morning and you're saying, I don't even know if Jesus is real, I don't know if God is there, but if that's what he's like, let me ask you the question. Who's your boss? Because for me, it comes down to that. What am I pursuing and where is life to be found? Because as soon as I answer that one, everything else can fall into place. Maybe you're here this morning and the idea of generosity has been so far from, you don't even understand it. There's a little brochure that you can pick on the table on the way out that tells you about what giving can look like. 
This is not the point where I go, let's start giving to that or let's give more money to me so I can buy a bigger car and go on fancier trips. You see, you might be here this morning and say, where do I start with that? And I'd just say, just give. Start giving of your time, your love, your... Wonderful thing about this community is I realize is that it does. People open their homes for others to come and live in. People cook food so they can give it to someone who's not well. But give. Buy into generosity. And when you wake up in the morning time in your workspace, your home, say, God, how can I be generous today in the words I say? the stuff that I have. We have $18,000 set aside in our budget at New Community just to give away. I'm not sure if you knew that. If you've got someone who's in need, genuine need, and you can fill out one of the forms, and that's there for you to give on behalf of New Community because we buy into generosity. A follower of Jesus might say, what do I need and what do I want? What's the difference between the two? Or as Yvonne shared this morning, what would a courageous, generous engage look like for my workspace, for my community? As these guys play, they're going to invite us in a moment to stand and worship and connect with the living God. And as you do, would you bring your need to him? Because I believe he's gracious. For those who need to be carried, he'll carry. And we do. For those who can carry someone, we want to do that too. Meet, Meet with him this morning.